Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series in 1 Corinthians, Christ Culture Church. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you. Now, before we get uh, go too far into the message, I did want to acknowledge a couple of, th- of people here. First and foremost, if you have served our country, if you're a veteran, we'd like you to stand up. Could you stand up? There's a few of you. There we go. Thank you. It is Veterans Day weekend, and we just want to say thank you for those who served in our armed forces. And I just wanted to take a moment right now and pray not only for those who serve, but those who are serving currently. Because as you know, um, our world is a little bit of a powder keg at the moment. If you haven't figured that one out, it doesn't take more than a spark to get powder kegs going. So I want to pray for them, and then we'll keep going. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would be with our armed, our armed forces, with our country. Lord, we ask that you would be with those who have served. And God, would um, you bless them? Would you speak to them? Lord, our desire is that, uh, that there would be peace. And that is our greatest and deepest desire, is that we as Christians would be peacemakers and that there would be peace. But God, if there's not, we do ask for their protection and that you would cover them and that, uh, God, you would make your name known all throughout the earth and uh, even in the months, our, our military and our armed forces. We do pray for all of those who are part of the armed forces, people making decisions, uh, our commander-in-chief, all of these people, God, may they be, make wise decisions that are informed by you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for those of you who have served. Also, um, we have a little bit of a change. Whenever there's a change, we want to let you know about that. And here's one of those changes. Um, this A couple of weeks ago, one of our board members uh, came to me and said, Pastor Dave, I really just cannot serve any longer because of these work commitments. That my work has changed me so many times. I'm watching online, but I cannot come. And so we, we wanted to thank uh, Margie Epperstein for serving so well, but she won't be able to be with us. Yeah. She served so well through the pastoral transition here, but she won't be able to be with us for a number of months. And she realized that and said, I need to take a step back. And because of that, that left a vacancy and we respect our congregation's vote. And so what we did is we had a list of alternates uh, who uh, who got like this, the next, who would have gotten the position had their, the positions not been filled. And the very next person to get that was just actually one vote away. We didn't tell everybody the numbers, but was one vote away. And that's Gloria Atta. So, our Gloria Atta. So, Gloria, would you come and join us? We wanted to welcome you as a board member and pray over you. And I don't know if anyone else saw this, but um, Sarah Ortiz back there just went, yes. It was pretty cool. <laughs> so, Glory, we wanted to welcome you. And, uh, Glory, would you just introduce you, yourself, and your, your family? I know you didn't, you're not too excited to speak on stage, and that's okay. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Gloriata, and um, we've been attending Reverse Air Church for about six years now. And I have my family here, Joshua Atta, he's at the back over there. And thank you. We're also blessed with three beautiful children, um, Alexandra, Uyo, and Michael, who is in the nursery. Thank you. 
Yes. So we just wanted to, we pray over all of our board members, and so we wanted to pray over you as well, if that's okay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for Glory and her willingness to step in and serve out this term. We ask that you would give her wisdom, and we ask that you would just continue to speak with her and guide her as she leads us as a board member. And God, we just ask for your spirit to be on her and for all wisdom to come through her as we decide things together as a board, whether it's financial or spiritual, whatever it is that we're doing as a board, Lord, we just ask for you to give wisdom through this process in our leadership. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Corey. And as we're kind of transitioning into the, the message, I did thought I'd make a, a quick correction because Pastor Evan and, and Heather are gone. Pastor Evan does our bulletins. You might see that the multiply account says that we need $3 million. Um, if any of you would like to give $3 million, we would gladly take it and really re- you know, renovate. Uh, but it should say 300000 just so you know. Um, so Ruth, that was wishful thinking on your part. Um, (laughs) but I will tell you that in the area of multiply, some awesome things are happening and we're going to shoot a video this week to tell you a little bit more about all this happening. But one, um, I told you we were a little bit concerned about our sign in front. The prices had gone way up and, uh, you know, just some, uh, some anonymous person came through and said, I'll cover the rest of it. And so we were able to start work on our sign this last week. We, started the work on the sign. We actually um, are in conversations with roofers right now about the Children's Center, because if you went up on the top of the roof of the Children's Center right now, I mean, you could kind of see it from just right here. You would go, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And we've been scratching our heads on that one, but it looks like we're going to have a solution really soon. We might actually have to completely redo that roof. So and it's all made possible because there's funds in Multiply. We have about 90000 that we've built up to do all of these things. And we've done so many things. That's what we're going to do to shoot the video. We're going to remind you all the things we've done and all the things that we still have to do. But uh, God is good and he's providing. And so we just want to invite you, if you're new, uh, talk with us about what Multiply is. But it's a little fun to essentially help us uh, get back in shape here as we move forward to reach a new generation. Now... Let's get into the text, shall we? <laughs> We're up here to talk about the Bible. Let's do that. If you've got Bibles, please flip them open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to get into that in a second. You don't really imp- realize the importance of things until they're gone, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. All of you got that right away. When I was a lead pastor in Southern California, you know, I was there for 20 years, basically, as a youth pastor, a young adult pastor, family pastor, senior pastor, and I just loved that community. And after my last Sunday there, I took an eight-week-long sabbatical. And I was excited about the sabbatical. Every pastor needs a sabbatical. I think every seven years, a pastor needs a sabbatical. Why? Because this is a lot of information to process every week. And it ties your brain up after every now and then to like, and you just need to like decompress and not think about preaching for a little while. Plus there's other things that we got to think about too. Like there's, you know, I got to, for whatever odd reason, I got to think about like soundboards and roofs and all these other things to think about. And it just is good to decompress. So I was really looking forward to this eight week long sabbatical before I came to pastor this church. And somewhere along the way, in the middle of that sabbatical, my wife and I looked at each other and said, we miss our community. What we didn't realize, we were going to different churches. 
and just sort of visiting around. We got a lot of friends that are pastors, and, you know, we never get to visit them on Sundays because I'm kind of busy on Sundays, obviously. But what we missed was the regular communion of the body of Christ, the regular connection. Uh, I, I missed seeing my friend Ernie and I missed the, the prayers of my friend Mike. And, and I missed the, the connection that I had every week where there was this woman named Orpha who would give like the biggest hugs. And I, I missed all those things. And I was telling my wife, my wife was telling me, like we both kind of simultaneously, like we missed that. How is it that it's like, we're only like three weeks in and we're like, we want our community back. And we knew we were coming to a new community. We knew God was going to make us in a new community and he has. And and, and so even like last week, we were down in L.A. and driving back up. We missed this community. But this is the, what God does. He knits communities together. He deeply winds them together by the, the, the Spirit, by His own Spirit, and by the gifting that He gives each person. And because of that, He makes us like into one body. And it's His body. We are Jesus' body on earth. And that's what 1 Corinthians 12 is going to talk about. So as we get into it this morning, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, really the whole thing. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit. Now, let's pause there, because as kind of is common with me, there's a lot there in those first couple verses (laughs) that I want to talk about. So first and foremost, the reason why we have to pause here is to understand the whole rest of the text in 1 Corinthians 12. First and foremost, he's saying, listen, there's other false gods. You, you, you have to remember that you live in a world that is so consumed with these false gods that, that you could be easily led astray. Now, in our world, we have something called secularism. Secular just means there is no, it's just sort of benign. Um, it means that there are no other gods. It means that it's just like, this is just that. It, that's all it is. But I think the only difference between our world and the first Corinthian world is that the other false gods are kind of hidden behind secularism in our world today. They are. They're just sort of hidden back there. Because Paul will definitely say, listen, we live in a world uh, filled with principalities and powers of darkness and things like this. And then our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other humans, but about the, against the spiritual forces. So what Paul is saying here is we live in a spiritual world that, is, that we're in battle with constantly. And Paul is telling this, the, the church this. One of the reasons why I don't like um, secularism is because I don't believe that reality is secular. I don't think, when somebody talks about secularism, I ask the question, is reality secular? And I don't think it is. I think reality is not secular at all. So in any case, that gets down into a long philosophical uh, tangent that I don't want to go down at the moment. But the point is, Paul is saying, you were previously led astray by mute idols. I want to give you the picture of what Paul is saying here, because I think this is key and important to today. Now, just as they did to Jesus, they paraded him through town up to the hill to sacrifice him, 
Just as they did that to Jesus, what they did in the town of Corinth was they went and took these bulls and rams and other things that they would sacrifice to these false gods, and they would parade them through town. And if you were a worshiper of that false god, then what you would do is you would follow that bull or that ram, and you would go into the temple. And what you would do is you would watch that animal be sacrificed, and you would take part in the sacrificial feast. And what Paul is doing is setting up this sort of visceral picture that we have to understand that there's two realities at play. There's this world of these false mute idols, which Paul talks about, and then there's the world of Jesus and him crucified, and there's the world of his spirit, and there's these two powers that are at play. And that we could easily walk down this road of false idols, and we could be led away to be slaughtered with these false gods. That's sort of the picture that he's painting for the church. Do you want to be led astray to mute idols, or do you want to follow the Spirit who speaks? The Spirit speaks through his body, through his people, through you. The Spirit speaks. Do you want to go to this mute God, or do you want to go to the Lord who speaks through his church? And this is the two things that he is saying. And by the Spirit of God, you're able to confess the Lordship of Jesus. This is right what he says right up in the very beginning, that the Spirit of God enables you to say that Jesus is Lord of your life. Because in the other system, which by the way was a religious system of emperor worship in the Roman world, you would have to live by another confession. And that confession is Caesar is Lord. It was literally on their coinage. In fact, there were times you could not buy or sell without making that proclamation and paying the tax and, and the temple tax to Caesar and saying that Jesus, I'm sorry, Caesar is Lord. So there was these two confessions at play, and Paul knows this. This is why Paul's writing. He's saying, are you going off to the area of the mute idols, the area where you have to confess that there is another God, Caesar, or are you going to say that Jesus is Lord? How are you going to live? So right in the very beginning, he, he gives these two point paths to go down. He's saying, church, listen, you are God's church. You were bought at a price. He already said that in the book of 1 Corinthians. Your bodies were bought at a price. Jesus' own body. Don't go down that path anymore. Your first feeling is this. The chief confession of the church is that Jesus is Lord. That is our chief confession. And that is what we say as a church, and that is how we live as a church, that Jesus is Lord. And when we say Jesus is Lord, it means that I am not, right? That's what that means. It means that, that, that God sits on the throne of your life. It means he sits on the ultimate throne in heaven, but that he sits on the throne as in charge over all, and that we surrender to him, that we live surrendered lives. Now, the other confession, Caesar is Lord, is to put all these other false gods up on a pedestal and on a throne and to live for them. In our world today, the, the secular sort of veil, you know, is sort of, it's still the same gods that were alive in, in the ancient times of the Hebrews and the Greek times. It's kind of the same gods that are today, sex, money, power. Those are like the three gods of the ancient world, and they're always there. And today, they're just more secular. You know, they're just more hidden that there's not powers behind them, but there clearly are. 
So to put Jesus on the throne of your life, I wouldn't even say that you could put Jesus anywhere. That's probably some bad grammar on my part there. But to say, to confess that Jesus is Lord over your life is to say there's no higher authority. It's to say that money isn't a higher authority. It's to say that power isn't a higher authority. It's to say that sex is not a higher authority. My own opinions are not my own higher authority. There's no political party that's a higher authority. There's no other things that are a higher authority. It's that the Holy Spirit, that God's power has all the powers in my life, and these mute idols are nothing. So he sets this up right in the very beginning because he wants to take the church down this road of saying what it means to be the church. What it means for us all to be united together. What it means for us to, to live uh, these lives in Christ together. And, but the very first thing he has to do is say, there's a different road to go down. The road of mute idols. If you walk down that road, you'll be slaughtered. You'll be slaughtered with those mute idols. So he first and foremost commands the church, tells the church, to walk down the road of the lordship of Jesus. Easily that can be confused in our lives because we give so much authority to other things. That gets confused from time to time because you give authority to, to all sorts of other things in your life. But what Paul is saying is give authority to the lordship of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you just that's all you needed to hear. And you're like, yes, I need to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. I mean, you can literally do that as I'm talking right now, just between you and God. Let's keep going, though, in verses 12, or verses uh, 4 through 11. There are different kinds of gifts, Paul says, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through a spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing between the spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So last week, Pastor Bethany talked about the, the sin of the church in Corinth, where they would segregate based on their income level between rich and poor and seating for communion and all that stuff. But this church was built and had this problem of this hierarchy of wealth. That's one of the problems that the first Corinthian church had, that the church in Corinth, I should say, had. So now what he's saying is, church, you have to understand that the church actually builds one another up. That is why God gives each believer a gift. Now, what's key is to know your gift, right? But what's key in your gifting is not necessarily the gift that you have. But what's the next fill-in? God gives me a gift that is not for me. See, normally at Christmas time, you get a gift and that's for you. I like Christmas. I like getting gifts. It's fun, right? I like giving gifts. It's fun. Mo most often, those gifts are for you. I remember the very first Christmas that uh, I was a senior pastor, my, my grandma, my parents, and my wife went in and got me an iPad. Um, 
This was a long time ago. This is when the iPad connectors were like this big, you know, they were like huge. And it was like one of the first iPads. And they were like, you can preach off an iPad. I'm like, wow, it'd be so advanced. This is amazing. I thought that was the coolest thing. I got this iPad and it was, it was a gift specifically for me. And I love that. Um, but what Paul is saying is that you have to understand, church, your gift is for the common good. This is the phrase that Paul uses in this text. It's for the common good. It is for everyone. It's to build one another up. What Paul knows this church, and he knows how divided and fragmented they've gotten. And so this is why he has to tell them, listen, your, your gift is not for your own selfishness. In fact, I don't even think that you can use your gift for yourself. That's not how these gifts work. They are outward focused. They're for other people. And you can't be arrogant about your gifting because it's not for you. And what Paul says is that this gift is for the benefit of everyone, the common good building everyone up. So Paul gives us a sample list. And I'm not going to talk about all the gifts because, like I said, this is a sample list. In First, I'm sorry, Romans 12, he gives another list. In Ephesians 4, he gives another more basic list. So there's all kinds of giftings out there that God gives. And if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've been baptized by his spirit and you've said yes to Jesus, then you have a spiritual gift. And if you're not using that spiritual gift, I want to encourage you to find out what that is and use it. Because it's not for you, and it's the coolest thing in the world to build other people up. I remember one day, and I wrote this somewhere in my notes, so I'll have to skip it later. I remember one day, the very first time that I tapped into the gift of understanding that teaching wasn't for me, and it was for somebody else. I had just taught in youth ministry, and there were something like 30 kids there, and like three of them accepted Christ, and three of them had this other like repenting of other stuff, and it was just a powerful moment that we had in youth ministry. And I remember driving back, and I was telling my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, um, my ex-girlfriend, we're talking about that, okay, <laughs> my former fiance, you know, my wife now, I was, I was telling her. I was telling her, I was like, I, I can't believe I got to do that. That was so incredible. I, I can't believe it. And it was for other people. It wasn't even for me. And it was the most exciting thing. It was like you tapped into the moment where you felt like you were being used by God. And there's nothing greater than that. So I want to encourage you, like, if you don't know that feeling, you will and you can know that feeling. And it's by figuring out what your gifting is and using it for God's glory to build other people up. So he's got all these, you know, the, there's a message of wisdom. I can't tell you how many times in the church uh, I've been struggling with a decision or something like that. And, you know, somebody, sometimes it's, it's uh, I remember, sometimes my father-in-law uh, who would come up to me and tell me some old story. And it's like, well, that's a message of wisdom right there. Like, I needed that to make this decision. Wow. A message of knowledge. That is exactly what it sounds like. Somebody just tells you something and all knowledge comes from God. Usually for me, when somebody tells me a message of knowledge, it usually is scripture. And it, they're like, hey, I had this scripture I thought I would just tell you about. And I'm like, oh, wow, that actually really, really applies to what I'm walking through right now. Holy cow. And so it, that's useful. Faith. Oh, I'll talk about the, the gift of faith here in a moment. But the gift of faith, when other people have more faith than me. That builds me up more than anything. And when you see that, it's like, whoa, I wish I had faith like that person. And that spurs you on. And there's healings. 
I, I've, I've seen that. I know we live, like I said, in a secular world, but I've seen where I've, I don't think I have the gift of healing, but I prayed for a woman who had a giant tumor in her throat, and the next day it was gone. I'm not, I mean, that's never happened any other time. It was such a benign prayer. It was like, Lord, we just pray that you'd be with her and that you would, if it's your will, that you would heal her and amen. I mean, like literally it. And we were shocked the next day. And in fact, I had forgotten I prayed for her. She had to remind me that I prayed for her. That's how like unimpressive my prayer was. That I just, I had forgotten it, okay? And the next day, the, the doctor was just wide-eyed, you know, and it was like, whoa. You know, I'm not saying that I have that gift because that's only happened once in my life and has never happened anywhere else, but it, it's amazing. Um, some people speak in tongues, and they've been given that gift. Wonderful. It's for building others up. Prophecy. That's not necessarily... By the way, um, there's a couple of different modes of prophecy. What Paul is talking about here is usually speak like what I'm doing right now, preaching. Speak using the scriptures to speak into modern life. That's typical for prophecy, what prophecy means during that time. Distinguishing between spirits, just understanding what is of God and what is not. That's really important. And remember, these are all for the common good. I want to talk, tell you a quick story about the common good. Something that's really important. When I was uh, in college, I was a senior in college, and I was blessed to be asked to be the lead delegate for the National Model United Nations nerd alert right here, okay? That's me, National Model United Nations. They sent us to New York for two weeks. We went to the actual UN. I got to speak at the actual UN. It was incredible. And there's uh, schools from all over the world that converge and do this and talk about the UN. So the way we divided up our class you had to apply to get in. We had over 150 applications. We had 20 seats. It's, it's not, it's just math. Like, it's hard to get in, okay? And so we got people in, and we told them, the biggest deal is that each of you are going to become an expert in policy for the country we represent. We need each of you on every class. If you're in the hospital, have a speakerphone available. Seriously. If you get in a car accident, ask them to take a pause. I mean, this is like, we just went really serious with it. Ask them to take a pause and get on the phone and get, call me in class. We'll put it on speakerphone. You know, this, we just got really, really serious with it, and nobody ever missed class. For years, there was this ethic of, like, you don't miss class. It was extremely rare. We had people ditch all day and then drive back for the Model UN class because they knew they could not miss a class. And when I was the head delegate of it, I just laid this into um, a good friend of mine got in the class, and we'd been friends for a few years, and, and uh, just uh, wonderful guy, really just a genius, just so smart. And he was an expert on this particular policy area, but he got called into work, and he didn't actually have to go, okay? But he went, and all of a sudden, he's missing. I get a text on my phone, sorry, emergency at work, had to go. And I just remember one of my best friends laying into him afterwards. I've never done this with any of my other friends. But what I said to him is, because he was like, I don't get it. I did all my work. I said, I didn't need to come. 
I, my work was done. It's turned in. There's nothing you needed from me. And I said, no, we needed everything from you. You have this knowledge of this part of policy that we needed in order to fill this bigger understanding of what our country was all about. And we only meet so many times before we go to New York. We needed what you had and you weren't there. And there was like the one time I got super aggressive about this, right? But in many ways, I feel the same way about the church. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. You know, it's like, Pastor Dave, I was just on vacation last week. Okay, I was gone at a wedding too last week, okay? I was at a wedding. There's times we got to go, and I get that, okay? I'm not going to like, you know, track you down in Tahoe and be like, are you skiing right now? We're, we're trying to do church, man. We need what you have. It's not, that's, not, that's not the way I roll. It's not going to be like that. My point is, you, you need to be at your life group. You need, you need to be at church when you're, when you're here in town, right? You need to this. It's not because you need it all the time, but it's what others can get from you. It's because you're gifting that you could pour into somebody else right out there getting a cup of coffee. It's because of your gifting that you could give in teaching like toddlers uh, about the Word of God. My, my wife was a children's director. I think she's incredible. She's back in, in Southern California. Heather, Pastor Heather is a children's director here. I'm, my mind is just blown by their ability to explain stuff to the kids. I could only explain stuff to adults. I don't get it. My wife has asked me, she's like, oh, the kids had this question about God. Can you explain it to them? I'm like, how about I explain it to you and then you translate it to them? Because I just, I just can't do it. We need what you have. It's not just about Jeff up here playing on the guitar and being able to sing and, and you know, and the, the drums and the keys and all that. Like, that's all awesome stuff. And they're using their gift too. And they're using it for you to worship the Lord. I'm using my gift of teaching to, for you to build each of you up. But we need you too. We need more teachers to teach more classes. If you've got that gift, we need you. We need hospitality people to, to greet and welcome people. If you've got that gift, we need you. And using that gift, the way God has wired you, the way God has laid that in you, you you'd be amazed at how much your faith will grow when you use it. Let me tell you a quick story about my faith growing through preaching. Um, so many times, I, I know I've told you this before, I've just walked up on stage and bombed. Just given the worst, like I, I walked down and I was like, let's just pretend that day didn't happen. Like I preached, but I was just fumbling through my words and I just, I just felt like it was a terrible sermon. And even somebody inevitably crying in the back because of what something that I said. And my first thought is, did this person hear? Were they, were they actually here? Were they watching their favorite pastor online or were they watching me? Like, uh, what, what are they, what's going on here? And they're like, when you said this, it just, boom, it hit me. And I'm like, well, okay, that's clearly the Holy Spirit then. He just needed me to use my gift so that he could use that and do something incredible in somebody else's life. Because all I had to offer was junk that day, but God made it into something amazing. It's true. And you might feel that all you have to offer is junk in your gift. Like, I just have this junky gift, and none of them are junky. None of them. I just have this little thing. God takes your little things and makes them big things. He wants to use you in particular ways. And if maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I don't know 
how to be used. First, you have to declare the Lordship of Jesus. That's what you have to do first. And then secondly, I want you to pray this most dangerous prayer. Even some of you are going to write it down. It's three words right now. I would suggest writing this down. You're probably not going to forget it, but write it down. God, use me. You, yeah, somebody said, uh-oh. Amen to that, uh-oh. Yeah. God, use me. We all need what you have. For me, it's Preaching's not what I got, basically. It's not a spiritual gift to ride your bike fast. <laughs> As my wife reminds me. Um, the gathering of the church for worship is not merely a matter of a group of human beings coming together to practice certain traditions or liturgy, but it entails the presence and the activity of the living God himself. And through his people, they worship and build each other up in his presence. That's what we're here to do. I want to talk about um, the gift of faith for a second. The gift of faith is just having this understanding that God's going to come through through whatever circumstances. Many of you know of George Muir of Bristol, England. He cited as a person with this uh, gifting. He would not have food, and he'd have all these orphanages. He would not have food in one of his orphanages, and he would take the children outside, and they would kneel and pray. And as they're praying, the milk cart would break down in front of their, their orphanage, and all of a sudden, they'd have milk for the day. And then the bread man would come and just say, oh, we have this extra bread. We're going to give it to your orphanage, and they'd have food for the day. This was George Muir to a T, if you know his story. There was a guy named Mr. Charles uh, Kalman who wrote the following story about Muir. I went to America years ago with the captain of a steamer who was a very devoted Christian. When off the coast of Newfoundland, he said to me, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, something happened to me which revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. We had George Muir of Bristol aboard. I had, I had been on the bridge 24 hours and never left it. George Muir came to me and said, Captain... I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec, Quebec Saturday afternoon. It is impossible, I said. Very well. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken engagement for 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. I looked at the man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum can that man have come from? I've never heard of such a thing as this, Mr. Mueller, I said. Do you know how dense this fog is? No, he replied. <laughs> My eye is not on the destiny of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He knelt down and prayed one of the most simple prayers. And when he had finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe he will answer. And second, I believe he has. And there's no need whatsoever for you to pray about it. I looked at him and he said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find the fog gone. I got up, and the fog was gone indeed. On Saturday afternoon, George Muir was in Quebec for his engagement. Now, notice in this story, George Muir did not need his faith built up. He didn't. The person that needed his faith revolutionized was the captain of that ship. 
And by George Mueller using his gift to simply pray and have the faith that God was going to come through, that captain now, you better believe that changed his prayer life and revolutionized the whole of it. That's why we need you. That's why everybody in this church is so key and so important because we need the gifting that you have, that God has given you because it's used to build others up. Let's get into, jump into verse 12 through 31 with me or else we'll never finish with this sermon today. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but we all, it's many parts from one body. But all of its many parts are from one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so all to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given to the one spirit to, one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he's wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving it greater honor to the parts that lack it so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gets a healing of helping and guidance, and all those different kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And next week, we're going to talk about the greater gifts, and that is the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, what Paul is doing here is saying that we're all baptized into one spirit and one body. We're all part of this big organism. So not just us here at River's Edge. I mean, it's important that we're all baptized into to, to one baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're all there. But there's churches throughout this, this region, churches throughout the country, churches, churches throughout the world. We're all one big body of Christ together. There, it's not like business. We don't compete with these other churches. We all work differently. Even churches have their different giftings and their different. We're great at offering family events for our community and helping these people to know Jesus. Other churches are really great at other things. There's some churches that are super good with going and serving the homeless all the time. And it's like we, we haven't done as much of that, partly because of where we're located and, and, and all that. But every church is different in what they're able to do. Because every person is different in what they're able to do and what God has gifted them. So Paul builds up this analogy. He says, you all, the church, are one big body. And I was thinking where he might get this from. 
And I think he got this from Jesus himself because the physical Jesus showed up to, Jesus, to Paul and said this as he's persecuting the church. You remember, Paul came to Christ by persecuting the church. Acts 9, 4 through 5, it'll be up on the screen. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, was Saul persecuting the person of Jesus or was he persecuting the church? The church, right? This is where Paul gets that theology from. Right in the very beginning, Paul gets this theology that the church is Jesus' body because Jesus said so. Why are you persecuting me? When you touch my body, it's as if you're persecuting me. Every person matters to Jesus. If you're here and you're struggling with worthiness, Jesus looked at you and sees somebody as indispensable, so worthy. Every part of the body works together. Every part of the body needs each other. We've all, we've, how many times have you experienced an injury in one part of your body that has just wrecked the other part of your body, right? Like a foot injury, you walk weird and then your back hurts, right? Uh, a couple years ago, I was uh, skateboarding and I still kind of do some of that stuff and old man skateboarding now, but I was rolling into a ramp, which I've done a thousand times. It's not where you do a tail drop and drop in. It's where you go out and roll in a high speed and go back in. I was going a little too slow. Clipped my back truck, fell six feet down, cracked a rib on the concrete. That was fun. Every laugh, cough. Um, every time I tried to sleep, it was like for two months, I, I was just like sleep deprived and uh, hurting everywhere, right, because of this cracked rib. Those are not fun. But it affected every other part of my body. And this is what Paul is saying. In the church, we are all the body of Christ, and it doesn't matter. You got to remember, Paul is hammering on this church for setting up these different hierarchies of social stratus. Some people are more important than others. And he's saying, no, no, you have to understand, those weaker members that you thought were, were kind of dispensable, those are indispensable to me. I need those people. So your last feeling is this. God has made me an indispensable part of the body of Christ. You are vital. You are vital. Your attendance here isn't just for you. When you come, strive to use your gifting. When you come, Lord, how can you use me here today? Coming to your life group won't always be for you. You might just be like dragging through coming to your life group and then you show up and all of a sudden you help, you increase somebody else's faith and you had no idea. It won't always be for you as for others. So maybe you're here and you don't know your, your gifting. Of course, there's tests. We have some of those here. Talk to us in the office if you want to take one of those. But the best way to find out your spiritual gift is if you're married, ask your spouse. If you've got a best friend, ask them. And if you're a praying person, which we should all be, ask the Lord. Lord, how do you want to use me? What is my gifting? And, and just start serving. As you start serving, you'll figure that out. You might go, oh man, I'm, this isn't, I don't know. But if you start seeing fruit somewhere, maybe you're gifted in that area. Maybe. So there's really three responses today. Maybe the first response is you've never declared the lordship of, of Jesus in your life. That is saying, Jesus, you are Lord and I'm not. So maybe that's you today. And as the, I actually want to invite the band up because we're going to get into this time of just response and prayer here in a moment. So maybe you're here and you need to declare the lordship of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I am not Lord of my life. You are God. I am not. I need you to be the Lord of my life and I need to surrender to you. 
Maybe you've done that, and then the next thing to pray is, Lord, I need you to use me. I, I feel Pastor Dave is sitting here reading this text and is saying that I'm indispensable, but I feel like disposable. Like I feel like I could just leave here and no one would notice. So God, would you use me? Maybe that's your prayer here today. God, I, I've been sitting here at church for a while. I just feel like I'm not doing anything for you and nothing in your kingdom. Use me, God. Again, the holy uh-oh on that one. And three, your gifting is for others. How are you going to use it for others? Jesus, Lord of your life, are you praying, God, use me? And how can you use your gifting for others? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the way that you organize the church. God, for there is organization into it. We are all part of your body. We are your hands. We are your feet. We are your mouth. God, we are all part of your body, and we thank you for that honor that we get to be a part of that. So God, right now I pray that there would be some who would here today would say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I'm declaring that you have lordship. I don't. Maybe there's some people here today who just simply need to say, God, use me. I need you to use me, Lord. I want to encourage you to do that. And God, maybe you need to, yeah, I just want to pray for you to reveal to others what their gifting might be or where they might need to serve. God, if you've got a nudge for them, a spiritual nudge for them as to where to serve, you want to lay something on their hearts, lay something on their minds, we pray that you would do that as well. Father, we thank you for your church and the blessing that it is to all of us. We cannot live without it. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.